Yeah, let's watch a movie, guys. Supposedly, Cousteau and his cronies invented the idea of putting walkie-talkies into the helmet. But we made ours with a special rabbit ear on the top so we could pipe in some music. The Belafonte, home to Team Sisu. Skilled crew of deep sea divers, adventurers, documentary filmmakers. Action! Led by internationally renowned oceanographer Captain Steve Sisu. Expert on every aspect of marine life. There remains one form of life about which Captain Sisu knows very little. You're supposed to be my son, right? This will be Team Sisu's most ambitious adventure to date. I'm going to go on an overnight drunk, and in 10 days, I'm going to set out to find the shark that ate my friend and destroy it. What would be the scientific purpose of killing it? Revenge. We're being led on an illegal suicide mission. I'm going to fight you, Steve. You never say, I'm going to fight you, Steve. You just smile and act natural, and then you sucker punch it. Are you finding what you were looking for out here with me? I hope so. Quiet out there tonight. Can you hear the jack whales singing? Beautiful. I wonder what they're saying. Well, that was the sludge tanker over there, but there you go. We voted on again, and I am again really happy we're going with yours, Tom, because I kind of agree with with Josh. It, it's got potential to have some some good, some bad, some ugly, and most importantly, it'll have some variety. We're not going to blow our load and only do good movies for the first six months. <laughs> really? Holy shit! We went with my list. <laughs> oh, we went with my list. Yes, Tom. Yes, we went with your <laughs> list. I mean, I've never went at anything. I've... This is this is the greatest day of my life. I don't I don't know how to feel about this. It's I don't know how to process this. Tom, Tom, it, it's not really winning. We just went with your list because you know it fits the the power, the power, phenomenal cosmic power. <laughs> Penis. You guys keep forgetting that I edit these. You do remember that I have the power over your voice and your words. Phenomenal! Moving on, moving on. Hate me. Hello and welcome back to the fire pit. I am Dan, British name Nigel, and the road to Independence Day is now behind us. What an achievement, but no time to rest on our laurels because, gentlemen, we're going to need a bigger boat. That's right, bots and listeners and mostly bots. Just like Brody, Hooper, and Quint, we are on the hunt and we're getting sauced. The sink or swim summer tour is here. Sauced, get it? Haha. Yes, get it. We clever. Get, ah, clever. Okay. Kings to Josh. And we are now heading into Jaws, the 1975 summer classic. But we're not there yet. It's a journey, you know. And our journey takes us from actor to actor from each film, using an actor from the previous film we just watched. So as per our rules, kind of like the game Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, only our object is to get to a specific film and not necessarily to a Kevin Bacon film. However, we do manage to pat ourselves on the back if we do get to one where he shows up. So in order to tell us what we're watching tonight and the connection from last week, I hand it over to Thompson, who has hopefully managed to gather himself by now. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, I am, I've. 
realized more mortality and my powerlessness in the grand cosmic scheme. Thank you, Nigel. And thank you for that introduction. I am well collected, yes. I am Thompson, American name Tom. And last week we watched Adam Baldwin in Independence Day, the classic 1996 summer blockbuster, uh, following him from our previous movie, Predator 2 which was not so much a blockbuster. But we saw Jeff Goldblum save the world with a computer virus, and tonight we will be following him to the ocean deep in The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, a 2004 film that takes us from aliens and citywide destruction to a man's hunt for a killer shark in vengeance of his friend's death. The perfect jump-off point to get to the ultimate film on this journey, Jaws. Now, because I can't be tasked to do everything for the rundown of the film, Reginald! Way to flub that last line, but thank you, Thompson. I'm <laughs> Reginald, or Josh, as they tend to call me. <laughs> and uh, as previously mentioned, tonight we are watching The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. 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 I imagine I'll learn how to pronounce that as we progress through the evening. Zizou. Um so, anywho, this movie was directed by Wes Anderson. It was released, looks like, had a probably pre-release on November 20th, 2004, and then a full release on December 25th, 2004. It has a running time of 118 minutes. It had a budget of $50 million, but uh, it did not get its return back. It didn't do very well. It made $34 million internationally. had a Rotten Tomato score of 56%, so it was a rotten film, but an IMDb score of about 7 out of 10. However, right. the audience score, hang on, Tom, we'll get to you, <laughs> <laughs> had an audience score through Rotten Tomatoes of 82%. So the audience overall liked it, but the critics did not, which is something that is, seems to be very common with RT. Tom, you had something? Uh, no, I was just, I was going to note that, that there's one of the, a Wes Anderson film, it's kind of rare to see the critics not being behind it. So it's, it's definitely an outlier in terms of some of his other works. So it, I thought that was a, an oddity, but, you know, what do I know? It's Rotten Tomato. Yeah, it's hard to tell with Rotten Tomatoes. Like, honestly, it's like sometimes the audience score makes more sense, sometimes the critic score makes more sense. It, it literally, getting an opinion about a movie is not an exact science. Not on Rotten Tomato. Definitely not. But anywho, the, this movie premiered at the box office at 19th. It lost out to uh, <clears throat> Ocean's 12, which also premiered that weekend. The the best of the trilogy, Blade Trinity. I say Ooh, that very, boy. very Ooh, that sarcastically. Was... <laughs> it was the first one of that series to rate, be rated PG-13, so that doesn't tell you where the series was going. Mm-hmm. And uh, National Treasure. The movie has a star-studded cast, including Bill Murray, William Defoe, Kate Blanchett, who was not in the Adams Family, Tom, Owen Wilson, and the man who saved the world just eight years earlier, Jeff Goldblum. But, as I said earlier, it has on a budget of $50 million dollars, uh, it only grossed $24 million domestically, and $10 million of that was internationally. So it still fell short of its $15 million um, from breaking even. Although over time, it has developed a large cult following, like many Wes Anderson films have. The movie was dedicated to French diving pioneer Jacques Cousteau, whom Murray is apparently parodying. I did not know that. Tom informed me of this as we were preparing for tonight. Yes, show. yes. It's a very... It's, it's, it doesn't dig on him. It's not like a, a parody or a satire or anything else like that. It's it kind of, Wes kind of took the paint by numbers. He just like took the outline of Cousseau and just filled it in with Bill Murray. I think they vetted this through the Cousseau people and they all said, oh, it's fine. Yeah, he'd love this film too. 
you you don't hate on him at all. So it's it's a loving pastiche, if you will. Kind of like the way Spaceballs did Star Wars. <sighs> Not really. That's definitely a deep satire. This is more. It's a template. I've never seen the movie, so I don't know. <laughs> He's basically playing a Jacques Cousteau pastiche, so to speak. He's yeah. not Cousteau. Yeah. No, I'm not the English major. What does pastiche mean? Is that like a caricature of? Uh, basically, you want him to. He's portraying the person, but he doesn't. He they've changed a few of his personal quirks, and they've changed his or her name, so it's not that person. So I, I'm trying to think of another example in cinema. Uh, I, 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 can't, I can't. I can't. I'm drawing a blank on who another example would be, but I, I think I get what you're saying. You're basically it's basically that person and mm-hmm. a real life per, a fictional character. Be it's that person in real life they're supposed to be representing, but they change the name mm-hmm. and maybe have slightly exaggerated characteristics of the person that they are imitating. Pretty much, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Though in this in this case, though, um, the yeah the character of Sisu is actually closer to how Bill Murray was at the time when this was filmed. Um, he wasn't really doing so well in his personal life at this point. Uh, the character of Sisu, um, he's he's kind of at the end of his highlight. He's he's a star that's faded. No one really cares about him. Uh, he's kind of the butt of a lot of jokes, and he's irrelevant. And for Murray, this was it's, it, the character was kind of Murray at this point. He even talks about it in a few interviews. Uh, there was a lot of points in this film. It, it, he was channeling himself, um, especially it's hard. It's for us. It's hard to imagine. It was a time Bill Murray was kind of not a draw, uh, especially in the late '90s. If it for oh, yeah. if it wasn't for Wes Anderson, I mean Wes Anderson did for Murray what Tarantino did for Travolta. But at this point, yeah, it's just yeah, we're kind of watching Bill Murray. Yeah, we didn't have a he didn't have a lot of hits through the '90s. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, no, no. I was finishing my thought anyway. So yeah, no, he didn't. But uh, yeah, it's like Bill Murray was big in the '80s. Ghostbusters, Stripes, Meatball. Was he in Meatballs? Yeah, he's in the first yep. one. Yeah, like uh, he was in a bunch of those movies, Caddyshack. Mm-hmm. So, but then uh, '90s, I really can't think of any off the top of my head. Ghostbusters two, that was 1990. Mm-hmm. Or 1990 something. It was in the 90s, early 90s. I can't really think of many more movies that he was in in the 90s. He was a, what about Bob? But as we were all yeah. discussing not long ago, none of us really cared about that film. No, and like I said, I just I think I watched that movie because he was in it because I was such a huge fan of Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's been like 25 years since I've seen that movie. Mm-hmm. And there was another film he did. I would think it was called uh, "The Man Who Knew Too Little." Which was oh god, yeah, that was a bomb. That was a bad movie too. Yeah, yeah. That was the one where he like he's supposed to go into a. Uh, basically, you go in to answer the phone, and they call you into the back, and it's supposed to be like live action acting scene because mm-hmm. he was a failing actor or something, but he wanted mm-hmm. to do this, but he actually gets caught up in a real life thing, and he thinks it's part of the skit. Or the act the whole time, so he plays the part. I wonder how bad. I wonder how much different his career would be if he hadn't fought so hard and been so against doing a third Ghostbusters film. The main reason they didn't make one is because he didn't want to. And Her- and Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd said, "We're not doing this movie unless the whole gang wants to do it." And Bill Murray was like, "I'm not doing Ghostbusters three. He dude, he had to basically be be threatened at gunpoint to do Ghostbusters 2. And he didn't want to do that. And then they, they, they he, he's vehemently against doing Ghostbusters 3. 
doesn't want to do it. They don't do it. You can say what you want about Ghostbusters too, but that movie made a shit ton of money and was a big hit. I wonder how much different his career in the nineties would have been if they, if he had just swallowed his pride a little bit and did Ghostbusters three, would he have been in so many flops and kind of been at this point when he does this movie where he wasn't in a good place as far as his um, Hollywood star. I mean, it's, it's hard to say with, with hindsight being what it is because, um, Obviously, Bill Murray is a very beloved actor now. He's had quite a few hits now in the early 2000s, early 2010s. It, I don't know. It's, Keep in mind, too, that uh, he's got had a very long history of being difficult to work with. He, he was cast in Ghostbusters, but they were worried he'd show up, and he didn't show up till the day they started shooting. They're like, is Bill Murray going to show up? Is, is he going to be in this movie? Yeah. And Apparently, like, he did the same thing on Meatballs. He did the same thing he, at Meatballs, too. He didn't show up till like the day that. before. Apparently not just that. Like he apparently he's very difficult to work with, and like I, I honestly I uh, haven't really looked super hard into it with outside of a few underlying Google searches, but apparently there was issues in filming Ghostbusters two that he didn't like, and that's why he threw such a fit about doing Ghostbusters three because some something about a falling out or something, and then that just permeated into like real life. They had a falling out. And that's what prevented him from wanting to come back. I don't know what went on. I couldn't yeah. find anything about and it. Now, this is not a bash on Bill Murray by any stretch of the imagination. We're not bashing this guy. The guy's a great actor. We're not mm-hmm. in any way bashing. And there's a history of many actors and actresses that are quote unquote difficult to work with that are still turn out good performance. Edward Norton comes to mind. I mean, he is a, from what I, everything I've read about Edward Norton, he is an absolute nightmare to work with. Oh but, yeah. But most of his most of his movies are good. At least his performance in those movies are good. And Nightmare to Work With can have so many different connotations. Like there's the standard like prima donna that we think of with a nightmare where they just have to have everything their way. They have to have the trailer a certain size, all the brown covered M&Ms or they're not going on set. And they're, they're difficult to work with, which um, they, they, they get so invested in their characters. They're just so perfectionist or what have you. And it's just... Uh, and like name a character actor now it's just like i'm not i play a paraplegic so i'm not gonna use my arms and legs everyone has to feed me all the time and i'm not gonna bathe because that's how my character do it's like that is another matter of difficulty so i it wasn't that daniel day lewis in one of his movies like he he made the other cast members actually move him around my left foot i think yeah like he was a paraplegic couldn't move his legs so he made the rest of the cast actually move him when he's fully capable of walking Mm-hmm. So there's some. I think Bill Murray straddles somewhere in the middle of that. I'm thinking. Yeah, I don't think he does. I don't think he's difficult to work with because he has this huge ego and he just he's, you know, I'm Bill Murray. God damn it, I'll do whatever I want. I don't really think because he was he was quote unquote difficult to work with in the early '80s when he was still kind of new when you know, like Meatballs and Ghostbusters and all you know. So I think it's because he gets invested in a character he's going to play and he wants to play it a certain way. And then he gets kind of, he gets combative with writers and directors and yeah, they, and contrary to some belief, you know, writers and directors and the actors don't always get along. And it's sometimes like the director has his or her vision of a film. They want it to be the actors playing the roles, have a vision of a film. They want it to be the writers have a vision of the film they want to be and then at the end of the day they're also fighting the producers who want certain things done in the film because Mm -hmm. it's because hollywood is at the end of the day a business it needs to make money Mm -hmm. so i can i can see that i i I don't think i don't buy into i don't think bill murray is in the difficult to work with category of he's the reason he doesn't get cast in roles because he's 
really, really, really a pain in the butt to deal with. I think he was just difficult to work with because he gets invested in a character and it, combat, it butts heads with the with the actor or I mean with the director. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, Wes Anderson's cast him in pretty much ninety percent of his films, so obviously he has no trouble with the guy. Was yeah, he in and, that movie Rushmore. Yes, that yeah, was uh, his. Was that, I think that was, was that first Wes Anderson. Yeah, yeah, that was Wes Anderson. Yeah, that was Wes Anderson's second film. What's funny is uh, we're talking about hard to work with actors, but I mentioned that this movie, like Blade Trinity, was the number two movie the weekend this came out. Blade Trinity is known for um, Wesley Snipes being incredibly difficult to work with. Like there was one scene they were filming, and he, <clears throat> he refused to open his eyes while they were filming. So they had to digitally go in, and this is before CG was good, so it looked obvious on screen. They had to see him, <clears throat> him opening his eyes and looking because he refused to do it on set. Yeah, and apparently, according to Ryan Reynolds, he wouldn't respond to Wesley or Mr. Snipes on set. You had to call him Blade. Um, he also spent most of the set time in his trailer and had his stunt double or his body double doing 90% of his work and only came out to do extreme close-ups and speak lines and stuff like that. So if we're going to say with Bill Murray's difficult to work with and Wesley Snipes is difficult to work with, well, who's still finding relative, regular regular work? You know what I mean? So- <laughs> I also think a lot of it is because Bill Murray is uh, unpredictable. And this is purely uh, opinion here. So I, I, from what I've read, he, keep in mind, I love hearing the anecdotes about him, about him walking down the street, you're eating a... Uh, a hamburger, fries, and he walks up, he looks at you, and he'll grab your fry, dip it in your ketchup, and eat it, and say, nobody will ever believe you, mm-hmm. and walks away. Or the other one that I love, he went over at this one bar, got behind the bar, and he was playing bartender for like 20, 30 minutes, and anytime anybody ever ordered anything, he gave them a, he, he would take their order, but then give them a double shot of whiskey or something. Yeah, there's video of that, too. So there's there's yeah. visual confirmation he does that sort of thing, So, it's, which is freaking amazing. Come on. And hilarious. I mean, come on. That seems totally in character for him. Mm-hmm. I had another thought, but I'm complete, it completely derailed me. Yeah. Oh, it also doesn't help that, you know, the, his career-wise, going back to would he have done better in his career if he'd done this, that, or the other. It would also help if maybe he had um, someone vetting scripts and didn't just rely on himself to read them because he doesn't He doesn't have an agent. He, he takes whatever role he feels like, which is how he got into Garfield because he saw the director and thought it was a different director. He thought it was a Coen Brothers film or something, right? Yes, he thought it was the Coen Brothers and not a dude named Coen. Uh, Whoopsie daisy. That gives us that awesome connection with the voice actor of uh, Peter and the real Ghostbusters. Come on. Yeah, no, I thought that was hilarious too that you know that guy would do the voice of peter Venkman in the ghostbusters cartoon and uh, bill murray was the voice of garfield in the quote-unquote live action film yeah that's, that's kind of an interesting tie-in and we're not reading bill murray's career obituary i mean the guy's a legend you know he's a legend mm-hmm. in hollywood he doesn't have an agent he reads his own scripts He's made a few flubs, uh, but at the end of the day, he's a household name. Everyone knows him, even if you just know him as Peter Venkman. I don't think that he's hurting for cash. No, he's not on food stamps, that's for sure. So, like, oh. Did you read? Did you guys hear about what uh, apparently Sony killed this last weekend, 4th of July weekend, or the weekend before? I can't remember, but they basically had this massive uh, Ghostbusters drive-in screening and made half a million dollars off of it. 
Which, you I, know, in box office terms, not a big draw, but for a movie that's almost 40 years old. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every time they pull out a, a Ghostbusters for one of the showings here in Columbus and stuff, beer tasting or not, yeah, people pack. They they want to see Bill Murray. And um, every year over here, they do a Groundhog's Day marathon where you sit in the theater. There it is. 24 hours and watch Groundhog's Day. Were you waiting for me to bring up Groundhog Day Marathon? I knew there was a big 90s film he was in. I couldn't think of it for the life of me. There it is. As someone who has done this marathon twice, if you were to play Groundhog's Day for me right now, I'd watch it. Hopefully we get to that movie someday. Oh, definitely will we. We could (laughs) have. We hey, could have, just yeah. saying. Hey, you both voted oh, for we me, though. So. Life Aquatic. Oh, <laughs> cry me a river. No. Speaking of river, this show, this movie, uh, for the we've talked before about special effects and such. This one's got some nice practical effects. No CG climation though, which I think adds to the overall tone and feel of the film. I'll I'll bring up more about um, Wes Anderson slowly but surely becoming more Wes Anderson than he's ever been with each subsequent film uh, after <laughs> we watch uh, this. He's really big into colors, right? That is a big thing for him. And you'll definitely yeah. pick this up. The Grand know, what Bu- was that? Yeah, that's the one. What's the name of that one? Grand Budapest Hotel. I remember watching the trailers and hearing you tell me about it, but it's very influenced by color. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one day we'll have to watch that film and we can go more into details because it's a good film, but it's definitely Wes Anderson at his most West Anderson. Because yeah, he likes those bright colors, right? Like yeah, yeah, he kind of doesn't. That that one's more of a pastel sort of sort of thing. But yeah, uh, he knows how to use colors to give a film a feel, whether it's nostalgic or like you're part of that time frame. Like um, he did a film recently, the name I'm blanking on, but everything was very 1960s yellow and tan for everything, and it just felt like you're actually in the 1960s. Yeah, uh, you haven't seen it, right, Dan? No, I've never seen this movie. See, neither have I. Tom has. But I was, I was wanting to, like, why haven't you seen it? Well, uh, I'll be completely honest. Full disclosure here. I saw Rushmore. Uh, was not a fan of Wes Anderson. I got halfway through Grand Budapest Hotel and turned it off because <laughs> I didn't like it. Um, so I've never been a big fan of Wes Anderson. And then uh, this movie has actually, I wouldn't say never interested me. It just... I saw it was Wes Anderson, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not watching that. But I'm keeping an open mind because I do like the cast. I like Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Kate Blanchett, Wilden Defoe, Jeff Goldblum, Angelica Houston. I like all of those actors and actresses. They've all turned out awesome performances in other movies. So so I'm keeping an open mind. I'm not a hater. I'm just, it just doesn't do it for me. So that's why I've never seen it because I've never been a, a big Wes Anderson fan. Yeah, for me, my answer to that same question would be uh... – I judged the book by its cover. I did not like the trailer, so I did not watch the movie. But I'm open to watching it because I know it has kind of a cult following. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I saw this because a girl I was dating in college, um, she rented it one time. She's a big Wes Anderson fan. I had, of course, seen Rushmore. I love that film, but this we watched it i loved it i had seen the previews uh before but it never quite registered until we rented it and i understand your reticence in not really wanting to it's one of those things where the trailer makes it seem a little more whimsical and funny and it is it's a comedy but sure but 
it's it's kind of depressing. Again, this is the parable of a former great star who's at the bottom, and now he's finding that there's more bottom to go. He's at the end. But funny things do happen because it's Wes Anderson. He does include some whimsy, but the trailer does lie. Hmm. Yeah, and I that's the big reason I was like, I was curious to have this to pick your list because it had this movie in it. You couldn't have got me to watch this movie in 2004. Yeah, same here. I avoided the Royal Tannenbaums and this movie for the exact for those reasons because I'm just not a Wes Anderson fan. And, and then I, it does get me a lot of shit with some of my more <laughs> my like someone's like, oh, you like Michael Bay films, but you don't like Wes Anderson films. I'm like, eh, you know, sometimes. I prefer a cheeseburger over a steak. I don't know. Just, the steakhouse, this particular steakhouse isn't that good. Yeah, one can argue that both men do make the same film over and over again. Yeah, it, it's like I said, it's not a, a a knock on Wes Anderson. His movies, like I, I, I do like some of the art style of his movies. I've just never been on the stories. I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to explain why I've never been a big fan, but it's just never been my cup of tea. I and it's, honestly, uh, when someone says, well, you like Michael Bay movies, uh, actually, no, I don't. I like The Rock. I think that's a fantastic film. But most of his other movies are. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, he makes the same. He's been pretty much making The Rock over and over and over again, except he doesn't have the magic of Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery anymore. Nope. That's like I, I would say, shit, I lost my thought. <laughs> well, I had then. something. Yeah, it's something. talked too long. Oh, no, now I got it. I got it. Seafood. Some people don't like seafood, but it's like we acknowledge it. Some seafood is really fantastic. I just don't like seafood. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, but if, I know what McDonald's has and I enjoy McDonald's, but I, I would rather eat a McDonald's than the fanciest seafood restaurant because I don't like seafood type thing, you know? Well, you're about to get some tiger shark in this one, Josh, because life aquatic. <laughs> see what it did there? You know, because seafood. See, I see and, what you did there. Yeah. Also, while we were talking, I did find a good example of a pastiche in cinema that um, for the audience and for Josh. A good example would be the movie Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest is a pastiche of Star Trek, and Tim Allen's character is a pastiche of William Shatner. Yeah, he's not a parody. He's not spoofing yeah. or satirizing, but it's done in that style. Yeah, yeah that universe – Galaxy Quest is their Star Trek. Star Trek doesn't exist in their universe. It was Galaxy Quest was the big show. And he's a pastiche of William Shatner. Alan Rickman's character is a pastiche of Leonard Nimoy. That's a good example of a pastiche. That film degree of mine is finally paying off. No, it's not because I never got a film degree. I <laughs> failed out of my film program after the first year. <laughs> doesn't stop Tom from being the expert, though. Bots no, no. does not stop Tom from being the expert. He's, he is always the expert. Yeah, one semester in film, and uh, this guy just uh, routinely tries to kick our ass in movie knowledge. So let's but say hey, we – Go ahead. Go All ahead, right. Josh. No. I was going to make a stupid joke. You you do the transition. Say your stupid joke. I already forgot it. <laughs> but on that note, yeah, let's um, let's say we uh, dive in. Cue the music. for more than a minute or two. I'm only going to be gone for two seconds. All right, we'll pause okay. it. And that's the last we were ever able to play of this movie. Dan's two seconds lasted 12 years. You never saw him again after that. Some say you can hear his cries for help from the bathroom to this day. He didn't die. He just got off the Skype call and just never resumed the movie. 
<laughs> we never talked to him on Skype that day because the electricity burned out his uh, electronics in his computer. It's... We saw him about you know a couple days later, but you know he was so depressed after losing to do the podcast. It was it was a tragedy that could never be overcome, as is uh, too too common in podcast worlds these days. Yep. We will forever uh, remember Dan as the one that could. This episode is dedicated. I'm still here. <laughs> if only he could be with us here right now. We can hear his voice just say, thinking about it. <laughs> I hate you guys. <laughs> Welcome back to another thrilling episode of The Fire Pit. As always, I am your interspersal host, editor, and marine biologist, Tom. Did you know that seahorses' hearts are in their heads? Well, that's what I read on the internet, so it must be true. We're riding that high and beautiful wave of the road to Independence Day right into part one of our sink or swim summer tour. An oceanic journey into the opened jaws of, well, jaws. You may or may not notice, but I'm kind of excited to have my list selected. In the future, though, you can help influence a vote or just give us suggestions on what routes to potentially take and whatever else by emailing us at curtaincallentertainmentinc at gmail.com curtaincallentertainmentinc at gmail.com Just put in the subject line whether you're sending us a comment, recommendation, voting on routes we're looking to take, and also let us know what you think in, well, the email itself, and we'll give it a read. Probably won't ever respond. You know, watching movies once a week is exhaustive work, people. I mean, when are we going to find the time? But again, shoot us a line at curtaincallentertainmentinc at gmail.com. That's capital C, capital C, capital E, capital I at gmail.com. No news sponsors yet, or no new news, but here's a quality of copy that you can't expect when we do get some. You are falling down a side of a short skyscraper, like the shortest building that can be a skyscraper. You're going to hit the ground in two seconds. Go. Come on. You can play off of that, can't you? Here's another one. You just stuck your finger in an electrical socket, and you are on the last heartbeat of the living. You're about to die. You've got five seconds. Go. You're falling down the stairs with a mouthful of butter. Go. Uh... Yes, and that's how you're supposed to go. These are all the leads you'll get at the Tom Institute of Lack of Improv. We will give you the worst possible lines to play off of. So here's 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 another example of something you can do. You are eating something, and somebody just told you that it's full of poison. You have two seconds to live. Go. Wait, what? Again, the Tom Institute of Lack of Improv, where we literally <laughs> opened our doors last week, and we're closing it tomorrow. Because literally nobody signed up, please. We spent the last five bucks on this ad because it was the only one we could afford. Some shitty-ass podcast. I don't know. Please at least click on our website so we can get ads. Because here at the Tom Institute of Lack of Improv, we don't have any good lines to feed you. Your improv skills will not get better. I understand why we close now. Have a good day. <laughs> Money well spent on that ad, I'm sure. All right. That's all you have for me, and that's all from me. Time to dive back into the episode. Uh, thank you all for listening, and as always, good luck. <laughs>
But I, I, I almost hate to admit this, but I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. Why do you hate to admit it? Because Tom recommended it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, Josh, are you saying that I was right all along? I told you there was a reason I wanted to go with your list over all the other ones. <laughs> it's like all of Dan's lists was really good. I had no reason to not want those lists, but it's like I wanted to try something different. Do you mind if I go first? Go right ahead. I'm going to have a question for each of you, I think, after this. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Go right ahead. First thoughts okay, I, are yours. I, I have to admit, um, I don't know if you heard what I said. But I'm going to go ahead and just repeat it for fuck's sake. I hate you for recommending this movie because I actually enjoyed it. I, I, I know where phrase that. I hate myself for enjoying this movie because you <laughs> recommended it. <laughs> I hate you, Tom. Fuck you. <laughs> no, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Surprisingly so. It was a really good movie. Like, I, This is my first experience with a Wes Anderson film. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I have to admit that even I commented on it during the movie is his use of moving forward, moving back, and then the creative panning. It's like it doesn't necessarily facilitate progressing the plot, but it does a fantastic job of inflection without actually inflecting, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I, and his use of colors was fantastic. Like during the uh, pirate scene. I thought that was really awesome that it was like really kind of a dull blue at the beginning and then the color sharpened as Bill Murray's character Zizu finally figured out it's like, hey, I'm going to just save my crew and it's just like shift and it changed. Mm-hmm. Or when was dying, it was obviously an edited in that when the water would splash uh, across the screen that it went red to signify that, you know, he was dying. Yeah. And I really, I absolutely loved his use of color and I loved his use, his creative use of basically the camera. It's like the camera itself was a character in the film, and the way it's, it moved and looked at different characters, it wasn't random cuts. Like, I love Star Wars, and sue me, but I enjoyed the prequels. I acknowledge they're not good films, but they're literally just talking heads. Camera cut to these two. Camera cut to these two. But the way that he uses these scenes is just... It adds a lot of flavor to the film. And then you get to the cutaway of the ship. I was just enamored by his creative use of that and how it was like almost a single cut every single time. And I still can't get over it. Like when he walked through the sauna, he left the fucking door open. You don't do that. You got to keep the heat in. Close the fucking door. That would have been my thing as he left the thing <laughs> i love that that's the one thing on that scene that you really like hone in on what an asshole he left the door open after everything in there it's supposed to be hot <laughs> after everything about his character that says he is an oh, asshole it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't surprise me at all but i would still be the one in the sauna being like close the fucking door and i don't know why i censored <laughs> the word fucking right there but you know close the fucking door <laughs> It's because I have kids. No, no, I, right. I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. Like I said, surprisingly so. I never thought that I would actually like that. But it, I got to admit, I enjoyed that. And I think that I'm definitely going to be more open to watching a Wes Anderson film going forward. Well, Nigel, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, my thoughts are, I don't, I don't want to say dread. Dread's not a good word. But I had some trepidation going into this one today because I'm, I, I admit I was not the biggest Wes Anderson fan. And I was just kind of like, well, you get through this movie. The rest of Tom's list is pretty good. But 
I really enjoyed this film. I enjoyed it pretty much from the start, which is much different from the other Wes Anderson movies I've seen. I've only seen Rushmore and maybe half or even a quarter of Grand Budapest Hotel. Those movies didn't grab me from the get-go, which is why I had a hard time getting through them. This movie grabbed me almost from the start. I agree with Josh. I really enjoyed his use of color. I enjoyed the the little subtleties. Um, Josh didn't pick it up when we saw it, but I picked up on that scene where he was basically crying to Angelica Houston's character, and then he just kind of flicked an insignificant little bug off of his hand. Yeah. Like that was that. Was, I love that that subtlety of, you know, no, this guy's full of shit. <laughs> you know, like that, that subtlety of, you know, he's he's putting on an act. Well, it's no. like it's one of those things. I knew it meant something, but I didn't quite catch what it was. Yeah, I'm man enough to admit that I didn't catch that. <laughs> but I love that that subtle character little work there in the film, and I think it was. I hate to celebrate a man's tragedy, but I think it's kind of it added to Murray's performance that he was in that particular spot in his life because he was definitely, especially the first half of the film very much acting like a man who's broken, beaten, and definitely functioning on autopilot. Mm-hmm. And like I said, that definitely added to the performance. Really enjoyed it. Just an uh, enjoyable movie. Um, definitely a nice little, uh, you know, the last few weeks we've been action heavy. It's not that that was a bad thing. We've, we've really enjoyed Independence Day and Predator 2 and mm-hmm. Apollo 13. You know, those were all fun movies to watch. But yeah, this one was just a little bit different. Just a nice little dramedy little more on the dark comedy side. Not not all. It's not all the way. It wasn't a black comedy, but it was definitely a darker comedy. Oh, yeah. Um, kind of falls into that. Uh, the reason I wanted to, I really pushed to go for Tom's list. It's like I want to open my palate. Yeah, this is a movie that I, I will freely admit. I would have never watched this movie if we weren't doing this podcast. Agreed. I, I would have skipped over it a thousand times, never given it a moment's notice. Even if it, and it'd be one of those movies that someone would say, oh, have you seen Life Aquatic? You really need to check it out. And it's one of those movies where you nod and you say, yeah, I'll put it on my list. You never put it on your list. <laughs> yep, yep. You don't write it down. You forget the name of the title before you even get out of the car. You're like, what was that movie he wanted me to watch again? No, who cares? See, I, I equated like these movies that I hadn't seen on our Sink or Swim summer tour. My parents have a more diverse palette in movies than I do. And growing up, they would rent their VHS tapes and they would just start watching them without a care that I cared that they what they were watching. But mm-hmm. half the time I would walk into the living room, see them watching a movie or just starting a movie and end up watching the entirety of the movie with mm-hmm. them and be like, oh, my God, that was a good movie. Like the movie Ransom that I just recently rewatched. Perfect example of that. I never would have watched that on my own, but because my parents were watching it and I happened to sit in the same room and watch it with them. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I still enjoy it to this day. Being forced to sit down and watch this movie, I never would have watched it in that regard. So I agree with you, Dan. We have a chance to really broaden our horizons a little bit. Now, I don't I don't know how many of these movies will broaden my horizon of fine cinema. We are going to watch Aquaman next week. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't I make the argument earlier, this could have been like the fancy seafood restaurant. So we're going from the fancy seafood restaurant this week. Yeah, to fillet a fillet of fish. Thank you. <laughs> fillet of fish, two for a buck. <laughs> I don't know if I would still call myself a Wes Anderson fan, but I'm actually going to give the Royal Tannenbaums a try now. I'm going to try to watch that. And that's actually, um, it's kind of refreshing to hear. I'm not going to lie; most people don't 
generally go for this Wes Anderson film, especially the later ones, the more modern ones, because they're certainly less grounded than some of his earlier ones, Bottle Rocket, uh, Rushmore. Royal Tenenbaums is also pretty grounded, and it's very modern times, but you see that transition to that 1960s-esque-ness, which we're getting here. It's like, is this in the 60s? Is this modern times? No, it's just Wes Anderson land, where everything is Wes Anderson at all times. I figured, okay, they don't like it. It's fine. It's understandable. He's got a style. It's not everyone's thing. I'm really glad this first time for you guys was an enjoyable one. No. I, I did notice our conversation in this movie. Other than the one time we hit on a couple of different examples of pastiches and when we walked, we talked about different movie trailers, most of the time our conversation focused on either this movie or other Wes Anderson movies. Like we were saying, oh, is this a Wes Anderson thing? Or uh, Josh was mentioning the colors. We're mentioning the camera work. I'm mentioning the characters in the movie. So we, we were talking about this movie, unlike Pathfinder, where we were talking about anything but Pathfinder. If, I, if you would have told me when we started this thing, the Native Americans versus Vikings or the aquatic life of Steve Zizou, we would like the aquatic life better. I would have laughed at you and been like, yeah, okay. <laughs> me, me liking a Wes Anderson film. Next thing you're going to tell me is a movie featuring Batman and Superman sucks. Yeah. Aquaman <laughs> is going to make more movie than that. We're going to watch that before that, the, the Batman beat <laughs> Superman one. Okay, sure, yeah. Dan. <laughs> yeah, so I'm really glad we watched this film. And I'm glad I enjoyed it. Big question real quick before Tom gets his final thoughts, Dan. Do you hate yourself a little bit because Tom did recommend it and you enjoyed it? Um, It's okay to say yes. <laughs> Tom's like right here and he's literally stroking himself waiting for Dan's answer. I don't hate myself, but I definitely feel a little dirty. <laughs> <laughs> like I should probably take, a, take shower a shower. After, yeah, yeah, take a shower after we end our episode tonight. So. <laughs> you know, and cry for a little bit, but I don't, I don't hate myself. This movie is kind of a perfect jump off to Jaws. The, the premise is, is a, guy, really a, guy's is. Looking, a guy's looking for a shark and that's the mm -hmm. whole point of Jaws too, you know? Right. For me, I, I'm, I'm one, I'm really excited that you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to word my thoughts because you guys have hit all the notes and then some, for me, it, Again, just, yeah, I, I picked up on some things I hadn't noticed before. Uh, the subtle nods. Also, just the toxicity of Steve. The way he was so manipulative and deceptive, tried to needle everyone else. Like, don't don't trust her. Don't don't talk to the reporter while simultaneously also trying to hit on her and dismissing her. Just all the toxicity. I, you know, my initial thought was, Man, it must be exhausting to be a narcissist. And now, like near the end, it kind of like maybe it wasn't just him being a narcissistic ass. Just someone who's realizing he's at the end of his life. It, he's coming to terms with his mortality. Now it's you know all stars must fade. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, maybe that's why they explode like they do. They just can't come to terms with it. Well, to 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 uh, add to that analogy, not all stars actually do just oh, blow up God. in a brilliant fire. Um, some some no do God. legitimately just fade. There's Josh with his science. Yes, Captain, no having fun. But the now guys, guys, Josh. guys, I have to tell you that there, uh, supernova is not the only way that a star may end its life. There is actually a numerous number of ways that a star could actually end its life. Uh, oh, hey, look, I, I can mute Josh from here. <laughs> but no, so, so that put Dan to sleep. Dan officially died. We will remember Dan now. 
as as the friend that died because of me talking to him. That was his actual on his obituary. It's the absolute last way he wanted to go. Yeah, yeah. He, of all the ways Dan thought he would die, listening to me was not one of them. Yeah, so I was actually going to ask, we did focus a lot on the visuals on this, but in terms of story, what were your thoughts? Oh, I liked the story. I, I Like I said, it was definitely a... It was a comedy and it was a drama. So, you know, it's uh, IMDb listed as a a dramedy, which is about accurate, but it was also more on the darker side of comedy. It's not a lighthearted comedy. This ain't no Happy Gilmore or anything like that. It's not a black comedy, but it's a darker one. But I like the story. I thought the story was pretty good. So what do you think, Josh? All honesty, I think I'd have to watch it a couple more times to fully digest the value of the story in regards to everything else about this film. Because mm-hmm. on its surface, the story is going to kill a shark and a lot of shit happens. <laughs> well, that could be used to describe Jaws, too. The devil's yeah. in the details. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. It's like, it's not the, the whole pirate scene wasn't necessary, but it was something that added value to the plot. You could literally cut that out. And with the exception of introducing Jeff Goldblum's character into the final scene of that film, it really doesn't have a lot of permeance into the whole plot overall. I really can't explain it with words. <laughs> I kind of agree, though. I think I think that this is a kind of a movie that lends itself to having multiple viewings in order to catch the plot. I did notice, not notice them because I can't tell you exactly what it is, but I did notice that when a scene's going on, there's stuff going on in the background that you might not, you're probably not going to catch mm-hmm. your first time or two watching it. Oh, yeah, um, like that one scene where they were walking through the cutout again of the boat. And Bill Murray leaves the door open, right? Mm-hmm. Like Tom pointed out after the fact that the guy was recording it like the whole time. I didn't notice him until like they went up on board right before Angelica Houston's character was reintroduced. Mm-hmm. Same with this, the one of the last scenes in the movie, right before they go in the helicopter with Owen Wilson and they're doing the little handshake gesture that they did. Tom goes, I like how Willem Dafoe's character was doing it in the background too. I didn't catch that. So... I would definitely something I would, I would see on the second or third time seeing mm-hmm. this movie. It took me till this viewing to see it, actually. So it, 10 or 12 times sometime is what it takes. So it's like when we were watch, we were talking about Starship Troopers, the movie with depth that we don't see until you've seen it several more times. But this one lends itself to being obvious with that depth. It's like, I acknowledge that there is depth to this movie, and I'm going to have to watch it a few more times to fully appreciate that depth. Whereas Starship Troopers... Seems shallow, but has depth. An ocean film with yeah. depth. Uh, you said, oh. see what see what I did there? That was all me. That wasn't Tom at all. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. Since you both came into this um, a little more apprehensive at at best, and kind of very apprehensive at worst. I mean, how, for anyone else that's listening that's, you know, kind of been similar on the fence about this, what what would you say, uh, say someone says, oh, a Wes Anderson film, Life Aquatic, eh, I mean, what would, what would you say to them uh, to say, no, really, watch this film. It's worth it. I would say if you want to be like me, and if you're not a f- fan of Wes Anderson... Um, give this movie a try because this was a little different than his other films. It grabbed me from the get go. Whereas like movies like Rushmore, I really had to get through. I don't know. What would I say? What, what exactly would I say to get someone to watch this movie? I guess it, 
I would say if, if you only know Bill Murray as Peter Venkman or Scrooged, if you want to actually see Bill Murray actually act like a character and not just Bill Murray playing a character, watch this movie. Nice. Reginald, what about you? I, I would I would have to say, like, I've never seen a Wes Anderson film. It's like I mentioned earlier, I have very narrow tastes when it comes to movies. I would expand my movies by happenstance, walking in, watching my parents, watching a movie. So I, I'm, I'm very ADD when it comes to things. It's like if a movie has to pull my attention, typically I don't want to watch it because I want to do other things while watching this movie. But every time I looked away from this movie, and this is credit to my ADD in that regard, like Dan says he moved away, what, once? Mm-hmm. Um, I probably looked away three or four times during this movie, and every single time I regret that because I missed something in the film. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like an explosion or something important. It was just as much as like the few seconds leading up to him flicking the lizard off of his wrist or pulling the gun on the reporter. Or just something that you noticed because I heard you laughing, but I honestly forgot about the pirates sliding up on the ship while the guys oh my were God, That was hilarious. <laughs> how casual they made it I, i'm no movie buff i'm no like i love watching movies don't get me wrong but uh i have to say just try watching it it may be a little slow at the start like it didn't get me from the get-go like it did dan it took a few minutes to really kind of gestate for me once they introduced really kate blanchett her character mm-hmm. i think that's when i really kind of started being more invested into it i don't know it's, it's really hard to explain for me because this is like i didn't expect to like this movie I really didn't. I didn't either. I expected to maybe be okay with it, have a kind of yeah, a, that right there. I or like okay with I, it. I don't want to say I loved every minute of this movie. I thought some parts of it were a little boring, but other than that, I really did like this movie. It's solid. I'd say seven out of ten for me. So it's got a seven out of ten on IMDb, and I feel like that's just about where it should be. It's it's a that's it's that good. I was gonna say seven or eight out of ten for me. Yeah, that's it's a good movie. Better than I expected it. Def a lot better than I expected it to be. Well, gentlemen, this has been fun, but we're going to dive a little bit deeper next week when we go into Aquaman. Yes, we will be following Willem Dafoe as he trains and mentors the Aquaman. Yes, just as he was mentored by Bill Murray here so too the trident will pass and for any for any of our bots and listeners groaning in the audience if you, if you are of the female persuasion or if you are of the male persuasion that tends to swing in that direction there's a lot of sequence jason momoa shirtless so just uh you know go in with an open mind and go in with knowing that jason momoa will be shirtless throughout i would good say a good 60 percent of this film way to bait our audience nigel Hey, honestly, it, uh, out of all of the DC movies, Aquaman and Wonder Woman are really the only two like fun ones that don't make you think like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> like, <laughs> like how much more depressing shit does there have to be in this film? Like Man of Steel. Superman's not supposed to be the angsty one. Batman's the angsty one. And then you watch Batman v Superman. You're like, OK, OK, OK. You both don't have to be angsty. But Wonder Woman's a good movie, and, and Aquaman was a good, fun movie, too. So I'm kind of looking forward. And I've only seen it once. I've only seen Aquaman once. So kind of looking forward to watching it again. And I, I do I do like Jason Momoa. I got a soft spot for that guy. I've liked him ever since he was Ronan Dex on Stargate Atlantis. I, I just recently rewatched all the DCEU movies. It just finished Aquaman, like, last week. I got no issues watching that movie again next week. I'm looking well, forward to it. He really was the best part of Justice League. I, I loved all of his scenes. 
and he's awesome and then the aquaman movie is really good too so i'm really looking forward to watching and like i said i do like jason momoa i think he's an actually a really good actor mm-hmm. so looking forward to seeing that movie so stay tuned we are going into the depths of atlantis next week but until then you can catch us every weekend or just catch our past episodes at firepit.podbean.com special thanks to podbean for hosting this podcast uh they're home to many a fantastic podcast and we are lucky to be one of those you can also find us on itunes and i believe spotify yeah, we're on we're on spotify now yeah so yes we, we should include links to those on our podbean site that would be a good idea someone needs to tell the editor to get on that Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Tom, get on that. <laughs> so look for us on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and... Um, that's it. That's it. That's all we're, we're that's on. All wrong. That's all wrong right <laughs> now. Look for us there. And uh, thank you for listening. <clears throat> As we uh, get sauced on our... Think or Swim Summer Tour. Yeah, think or Swim Summer Tour. We are on our way to Jaws. Thank you for listening. This has been another exciting episode of the Fire Pit. Yes. And until next week, I'm Dan. I'm Josh. I'm Tom. Special shout out to Peggy, friend of the podcast. Uh, This has been The Fire Pit, a Curtain Call Entertainment LLC production. Thanks for listening, guys. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Good night. Do you remember when Dan used to have us pause the films when we were watching them, Tom? Yes, because he was he was concerned about not missing anything. Yeah, yeah, those were the good times. Yeah, and then he'd be gone for so long that the video would freeze. Yeah, and, and then we would spend twenty minutes trying to get it working again. And then another twenty minutes to sync it up. Yep, yep. I miss Dan. Yeah, he's been gone so long. I barely remember his face. Or the sound of his voice. I mean, it has been like, what, two, three months since we've seen him? <laughs> I mean, if yeah, if you want to be actual about it, yes. I mean, it's been a co- long enough that I do kind of don't, I haven't seen you guys in a while. But, and also in the metaphysical sense. You know, I heard la- that he never stopped shaving. He just let it grow. Like his beard w- would make Matt jealous. It It was down to his belly button. Is that true? I heard... That his hair upon his head also he let grow, and it was just a magnificent mane of splendor. The way it blew in the wind let you know that God did care. I also, yeah, I heard that too, but the top of his head, I heard that the balding really kicked in. The genetics from his family just really kicked, so he's like shiny bald. But like down the sides, it was very long and luscious. So it was like a like... Greek goddess, but with a shiny bald head. Like an overgrown swamp where the swamp water had dried up and turned glistening. Yes, like a bowling ball that had been pulled fresh from the swamp. Ah, uh, I, I, can, I can hear the rustle of that non-conditioned hair and the way the wind just whistles over the chrome yes, of that and, spot. Yes, and also, like, his hair, you know how it has that weird feature where it curls after, like, six inches? So it just like poofs out. So it's like it's straight and then it poofs. So it was very awkward because it did it to his beard too. I, I miss those days of him catching just random particulates in his beard and poofy entails of his hair.
It was like a natural perm. And when he woke up from bed, it all just kind of matted over him. So he looked like like a pod that was ready to blossom in the springtime. Yes. Although yes. sometimes it would, uh, it would get stuck in his throat and he would choke for a while. That's how we lost him. That is, that is how we lost him. <laughs> we assume because we never found him. No one, no, no one no, no. really knows what happens. We've, I've happened. actually never finished the Secret Life or Secret Life, the Life Aquatic with Steve Sizu because you know he paused the movie and I just can't can't go on without him. Yes, well, forever it will be stuck at. And let me double check to make sure an hour thirty six with twenty four seconds to go. Do you want to I mean, unpause I, I, it just for a split second? Because I couldn't bear to lose this. Yeah, I don't so, want it to be paused too long because it seems like he's going to take a shit right now. <laughs> we can assume. Yes. Dan, we miss you. <laughs> and, your, and your bald head and thickly matted hair. <laughs> and, and his long fingernails because you know he never clipped them. No, of course not. But he, but he not. brushed he... his teeth. So he's got a white, pearly white smile. Because everything about him had to be perfect and magnificent. But his whole body, not a bit of hair. Just perfectly nope. smooth, just glistening Adonis. Not a single neck hair. But it's just like naturally at his chin and up, it was just like long. I'm here. Overgrown and matted. Oh, hi, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> 